drink and dance all night. Now let's talk of diapers and pacifiers and our pants are feeling tight. Bottle service with BKP. Bottle service with BKP. All right, guys, I'm sitting here with Nikki Bergen of Bell Method. I am so excited to have her on this podcast. She's a a Pilates and pelvic health trainer. She specializes in everything pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond. Nikki, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you. (laughs) We are going to get into it today, lady. I'm excited. I cannot wait. And speaking of getting into it, I forgot to mention that you also have your podcast, the We Go There podcast, where you talk about all of this shit very, very mm-hmm. openly. Like there's no such oh, yeah. thing as TMI, which I'm I'm very yeah. here for. I'm glad you're here for it because, yeah, it's so we believe knowledge is power. And, you know, you probably have a lot of people have, you know, perhaps questions they're embarrassed to ask, but legitimate questions that they need answers for. So we're going to talk about it. Yes, we're, we're going there today. We are going there today. <laughs> and I am so pumped. Um, I guess first, I kind of want to like give a little bit of background on you. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, you, how you kind of for like started the Bell Method, why you wanted to do this. And just yeah, give, us, sure. give us a little spiel. Got it. Okay. So I have two kids, a two-year-old and a four-year-old, but I've been teaching pregnancy and postpartum Pilates for like 10 years plus. So I started teaching Pilates in my 20s. I'm old. I'm over 40 now. So I had you kids look later. 25. Oh, you're hilarious. <laughs> no, I'm 41. So people can do the math. I had kids at 36 and 38 IVF. That's a whole other shit show we can talk about another time. But basically, um, I, I was a dancer, injured my knee, discovered Pilates in my late 20s, mid 20s, and really just kind of grew from there. And I started to realize that um, women needed something more when they were pregnant. So I'd have all of a sudden all these, you know, people would start, you know, they'd stay with me for a while, they get pregnant, they'd be coming to regular classes. And I would notice during ab work, like, what is that weird bulge in your stomach that never used to be there? And, oh, that's something called diastasis recti. Hmm, Maybe you shouldn't be doing regular Pilates work in pregnancy. Oh, it's happening when you're planking too. Hmm, let's learn about this. And then postpartum, I'd be teaching a class. And I was teaching not just Pilates, also boot camps. And, you know, I'd have like five of 10 women say, I can't do that. I'm not wearing a pad. I'm going to pee myself. And everyone would be leaking and laughing. And I'd be like, you know, I was naive. I was like probably 27 at the time. I had no idea. But I, again, started like a light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, is this my, is this what everyone's dealing with? Like, is this something that's my future? Cause I knew I wanted to have kids anyhow. So it kind of grew from there. And I realized that I needed to create something that was specific to the needs of pregnancy and postpartum. And I just dove in. I did tons of courses. I actually was very lucky. I became friends with a PhD and researcher here in Canada who specializes in pelvic health. She's become a mentor to me. And it's really important to me that research and evidence, which is constantly evolving, is actually getting to the people who need it the most. And it's not sort of stuck in this ivory tower where everyone's like still doing shit that we shouldn't be doing, you know? So trying to get the evidence-based practice out there, 
um, is really is something that I'm passionate about. So trying to stay on top of it all, because the reality is, is, you know, for example, we used to be so afraid of movement, you know, maybe eight years ago, there would be these lists of don't do this. If you've got diastasis, you got to do this and you can never do a crunch again and da da da. And now we're realizing actually it's important. We need to train the abdominal wall dynamically, but we need to do it in a particular way. So kind of stepping away from the fear mongering that has been a huge unfortunately, presence on social media and kind of getting into something more empowering so we can actually help people kind of figure out what the heck they need to do. Yeah. Oh, my God. I wish I had had you on this podcast back on the preg- in the pregnancy side, like because that's what's so frustrating is I feel like I did a lot of research and I didn't find much that was out there. And like I was somebody who worked out through pregnancy and like I would ask my instructors, you know, like my instructor, like you know, is there anything I can't do? And they would just be like, well, you know, if it something doesn't feel right, like modify. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I don't know what that means, but okay. Yeah. You know, and oh, the, the classic, listen to your body. You're like, <laughs> um, I'm so disconnected from my body right now. Like, what does that even mean? My <laughs> organs are in my throat. So like, I don't really know. I don't really know. Yeah, exactly. And, and, yeah. and now postpartum, same thing. I'm like, what do I do? even for my my main doctor you know like my OB like they just at six weeks they're like okay you're good and I'm like but I'm not I'm not good like there's shit is all over the place so I'm really happy that there's people like you out there in the world that are like actually giving good information and um and yeah there's there's a lot we can talk about I I definitely want to start off by just I guess kind of talking about some of the main issues like some of the big issues that face women specifically in postpartum mm-hmm. um, because there's a lot and mm-hmm. I feel like I just wasn't properly prepared for what was going to happen. Like, what do you, what do you think happens to like our, or what do you, what does happen, you know, to our core area through pregnancy, just like the, just in carrying and delivering a baby? A lot, <laughs> a lot. Where, where do we, where are we going to go with this? Okay. So there's a bunch of different, I'll call them dysfunctions that that are common during pregnancy that can become worse postpartum. And so many things are also dependent on, you know, how you delivered. You know, for example, someone who pushed for three hours is likely to have more issues with pelvic heaviness, perhaps prolapse than somebody who didn't have that experience. One thing I also want to myth bust around is after a cesarean, you shared with me before we started recording that you had a cesarean birth. Well, a lot of people assume that their pelvic floor is good to go after a cesarean, but the evidence supports the fact that it's actually more common to have painful sex after a cesarean than after a vaginal delivery. And people's minds are freaking blown by that because they don't understand scar adhesions and what those are about. And the fact that, you know, essentially they're like these little spider webs that can wrap around your internal organs. And when you're having penetrative intercourse, your uterus and a bunch of organs need to kind of glide and scar tissues prevent that from happening. So you can develop pain and yet we're often gaslit and told, oh, it's just your hormones. Use more lube, have some wine, suck it up. And you're like, "Mm, it's not going away. What do I do? So no one educates around scar massage. No one educates around you know, the importance of even castor oil packs, things you can easily do inexpensively at home to reduce those adhesions, even acupuncture for your scar. You're sort of walking around blind and you're like, yeah, no problem. I'm six weeks postpartum, this quote unquote magical time when all of a sudden your stitches have dissolved. That's literally the significance of six weeks. It takes (laughs) six weeks for stitches to dissolve on average. And then you're like, yeah, just 
you know, take it easy, listen to your body, go back to your exercise. When we also know from research that running should not be attempted until at least three months postpartum at the earliest. Really? All yes. this stuff you're saying, I'm like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> no, people don't know shit. <laughs> I'm freaking out. And I'm here and it's not their fault. No one's telling, no one's talking about it. No one's teaching them. And the doctors also don't have this training. They don't, they don't go to school for nutrition. They don't go to school for fitness, for physical therapy, you know, and, and they've got a lot of responsibility on them already. So it's not to say the doctors need to know all the things. It's more that they need to know what they don't know and refer out appropriately. Okay. Okay. Let's just a quick question on the running piece, because this is something that's like blowing my mind. Is this is it six weeks post cesarean or post any birth that you're not supposed to be? Or I'm sorry, 12 weeks, 12 weeks that 12 you're not weeks. supposed to run. Yeah, probably for longer for either, probably longer post cesarean. And, and there are some drills and some tests that we can do to kind of determine, are you ready to run? And it's definitely something I cover in our programs. But you know, I've done posts about it, but essentially there's a couple of things you want to make sure you can do without pain, pressure, leaking, peeing your pants before you attempt to return to high impact exercise. Um, because if you go back too early and I get it, it's inexpensive, it's fast, it's easy, go for a run, you know, you want to get back. Maybe that's a form of stress relief for you. I'm not here to be disempowering to say like, oh, you can't run. No, I want you to, but be smart about it and, and really rebuild your core, your pelvic floor, your glutes, especially your single leg glutes. Because when you break it down, what is running? It's essentially hopping from one foot to the other while bounding forwards. So you need a lot of strength in your single glutes to provide that stability that you need to make sure you're not messing yourself up. Okay. I'm just, I'm happy you're saying this because I feel, I remember one of my friends sent me like an Instagram post of a girl who, cause I was really nervous after, like before I went into my C-section, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to work out for so long. And she sent me one of her friend's posts that was like two weeks post C-section and I'm running. Don't let them tell you like, you can't do anything or whatever. And then when I was two weeks post, I could barely like walk to my mailbox and I'm like, wow. Maybe this is just me. Like maybe I'm no. having a terrible recovery. But the Ugh. idea of running was so far away. Two no. weeks and post. and I mean clearly the person who wrote that post is not a fitness professional or any type of a professional with any understanding of like the human body, anatomy, biology, biomechanics. So again, whenever you're getting this information look carefully at the source of the information. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Let's, let's, cause there's, we can go in. So there's a lot to talk about. There's so much time. <laughs> Do you have the next four hours open by the way? Because there's a lot we could go into. Um, okay. I want to talk about one of the big ones, uh, diastasis. Cause this is something mm -hmm. I heard about in pregnancy, but it was one of those things I didn't really know I, from what I had heard is like, you can't really tell you have diastasis until after you've had the baby. So I didn't know. And and you're making a face right now. So maybe that's not true. <laughs> and like, and I was also going to ask you, like, is there ways to prevent it in pregnancy? Because I, I had heard like, you know, like be careful, don't do crunches or something like that. But I didn't really know if there was other things I could have done in pregnancy to prevent it in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yes, yes. And yes. And yes. So yes, there are things that we can control and there are things we cannot control. So I want to delineate the difference because the things that we can control are things like how we poop. 
because that has an impact on diastasis. If you're constantly like turning purple and bearing down, going poop like that. Sorry for the noise, but hopefully that all makes it clear to understand what I'm talking about. My that is going that. to, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, the leaning over the edge of the the ottoman and the couch, like <laughs> in the diaper. I'm familiar. But basically, we don't want to be doing just like we don't ideally want a purple push when we're actually in delivery. We don't want a purple push and turn purple when we're actually having a bowel movement because that puts a lot of pressure down on the pelvic floor as well as out on the abdominal wall. So you're more likely to deal with diastasis. If you are straining and think about that, it seems benign, but if you're doing it daily, pooping, hopefully you're pooping daily, that outward pressure is, is bad for your pressure system. So anything that's going to add pressure to your already overly pressurized core system, because essentially you've got a baby growing in your tummy when you're pregnant, that represents intra-abdominal pressure. And the bigger your baby gets, the more pressure you have to deal with, which is why we need to scale our exercise in pregnancy, which is why we need to really be mindful of avoiding too much pressure and strain on the middle of your six-pack muscle. That's what stretches to, to really accommodate that growing baby. Mm. And so we don't want to do things like full high planks after around the second trimester because that's going to put unnecessary strain on the middle of your six-pack muscle. Why would you strain an area that's already quite vulnerable? There's so much we can do to really challenge you in pregnancy, but full planks, you know, are, is not a smart choice. It's not going to make your recovery easier. In fact, I would argue it will make it harder because you're putting too much pressure on your connective tissue. So pooping, exercise choice, um, those are probably the biggest ones, even breathing mechanics. So again, avoiding this kind of upper chest breathing, which can be hard because when you're pregnant, again, you made that comment your organs are up in your throat. So you probably start to feel shortness of breath and you're like, ah, I can't get a good breath in. I'm winded, right? That's because the baby's literally squishing your diaphragm up. So you're not wrong. It might feel like things are up in your throat, but learning how to expand more laterally through your rib cage can help provide more room and get you out of this upward hiking of your shoulders breathing pattern that again is messes with your pelvic floor, messes with your core pressure system. So mm. there's so much to say. So you can control those things. Um, things you can't control is if you have a really short torso. Mm -hmm. So if your ribs are really close, if you're short-waisted, or if you're just short period, if you're five feet tall, you're going to show earlier than someone who's 5'10", because you have less vertical room. And so I have noticed anecdotally that women who are shorter tend to deal with more increased dice erecti postpartum. If you have a twins or triplets, well, you know, there's more pressure. There's more babies. So again, more diastasis. Um, if you have a genetics, you know, think of why do some women get stretch marks and others don't. It's a collagen and elastin fiber thing. So same thing, if you're prone to hernia in your family, if someone in your family directly related to you has had hernia, there's tip typically more, you're, you're making a face. I don't know if someone has in your family. They mm -hmm. have? Okay. Mm -hmm. Sorry, girl. So you're then more likely to experience something similar because it is in your genetic makeup. So again, things you can control, things you can't control. Yeah. Oh my God. I, yeah, I wish we, I wish I would have had you on during the pregnancy because I feel like there's a lot I did not know there. Um, and I actually, I didn't know I had diastasis until after, um, mm -hmm. And it was interesting at my like six week appointment at my doctor's, I was like, I was, you know, waiting to get cleared to work out. And she's like, um, I'm going to send you to physical therapy because I think you might have a little bit of diastasis before you're cleared to work out. And I was like, wait, what the heck is 
what is diastasis? Like, what? Mm -hmm. They say giving birth is equivalent to running a marathon. So how about being pregnant and building a company at the same time to take on the multivitamin aisle? That is the story of Ritual's founder, Kat Schneider, who started Ritual because she couldn't find a prenatal she could trust. I love Ritual and have taken their multivitamins for years. With Ritual, you know you are getting high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms so you can trust what you're putting in your body when it matters most. Aside from their ingredients being amazing, one of the things I love most about Ritual is their taste. Their citrus or mint essence capsules make taking them so much easier, and they are designed to be easy on the stomach, so you can take them when you want, with or without food. This is huge, especially if your pregnancy is anything like mine, where getting any food down is hard, like that entire first trimester. So, why settle for a multivitamin you're not 100% sure about? Ritual was built on trust, so you know it's the real deal. Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash big kid to start Ritual or add Essential for Women prenatal to your subscription today. So in postpartum, you know, if you're finding out you you have diastasis postpartum, like, what do you need to do? Like, what can we do to help recover sure. from that? So first of all, 100% of women have some degree of diastasis, often also pronounced diastasis, tomato, tomato means the same thing. So you might hear it called two different things, but 100% of us get it and it's functional. So if you think about it, I did a post, I remember when I was pregnant with my second and people were like, oh, I get it now. So I'm not a big person. So pre-pregnancy, for example, 25 inch waist, then I was like 39 weeks pregnant. I had like a 44 inch waist. And I'm like, okay, so let's do the math. Like how many inches did my waist have to grow in circumference to accommodate this baby? By like pre pretty much almost like 20 inches. Where is that coming from? Well, some part of the circumference in your tissue has to stretch and thin and expand. And it's a miracle that we're capable of doing this, but the middle of your six pack muscles made up of connective tissue called your linea alba. And that's like silly putty. And it's like, or taffy that you pull. It's like saltwater pulling taffy and they pull it. And that's what kind of thins and stretches to make room. So again, nobody's going to be able to go to a full-term pregnancy without having some degree of diastasis recti. So we want to normalize that. Hmm. What Did not know that. Yeah. I mean, it has to happen. How are we going to accommodate a baby? Right. Mm -hmm. But it varies tremendously in terms of its severity, and it varies in terms of how much rehab is going to be necessary postpartum. So a lot of us get really hung up on the gap, like how many fingers can you stick inside there and where is it and all this stuff. And that is a good metric. But what's actually more important, and we know this from the research, is the tension. So instead of focusing so much on how many fingers you can put in there, focus on how deep you can sink your fingers inside. So if you can sink, for example, you'll, you're like, I only have, you know, two fingers, but if you can sink like your entire fingers into that gap, that's more of a problem than someone saying I have a four finger gap, but I can only fit my fingernails in that's shallow. Mm. So the depth is more of a representation of function than the width. But I didn't answer your question. So your question was, what can we do about it? <laughs> Postpartum. So let me get to that. You're like, great. You're talking problems. Let's talk solutions. So it's super boring, 
but we do need to understand our breath first. So in, in the classes we teach in the courses postnatal, I have a concept called the ABCs to make it easy to remember. Alignment, breathing, choreography. So you cannot just skip to choreography, even though we all want it. Like you're standing in line at the grocery store and it's like shape magazines right there next to the gum. And it's like five moves for flat abs after baby. Well, you want to buy that magazine. You're just someone freaking tell me what to do. Yeah. And it sells magazines. It's great for clicks, but it's all bullshit. You need to first understand the alignment. So where's your body in space? You can do those exercises in the magazine and wonder, how come I'm not getting results? And I'm copying, I'm doing this program. Well, because maybe your alignment is completely off. Maybe your ribs are completely flaring out, which is a super common issue. If you don't fix that flare, well, good freaking luck getting results from copying the choreography. Fix the flare. Work on your alignment. How are you breathing? Are your di- Is your diaphragm moving or are you just stuck breathing up into your shoulders? If you're stuck breathing up into your shoulders, again, the choreography is not going to help you because your pelvic floor is stuck too. Mm. So again, it's, and I, I say this and I acknowledge that it's boring spot to do the breathing and that alignment work, but it, it really is crucial to getting good results. Well, you say that, and I'm thinking to myself, um, you know, I've been doing all of these like workout classes for five months and like, I'm not getting any results and I'm like moving quickly through these classes trying to do all the moves that the instructor's doing and I'm really not focusing on breathing I'm not I'm never paying attention to what my ribs are doing so I'm like huh (laughs) (laughs) you're like this is resonating with me Nikki it's so fun and and let's be honest like you're busy you've got you're a mom you don't sleep probably as much as you used to right like you're like I just got I've got like 20 minutes 30 minutes make this work for me I just want to like get the sweat on and move on and go about my day so I understand the frustration of being like you have such a limited time to work out and all of a sudden I'm you know spending 10 minutes talking about breathing when you're like I just really want to sweat so I completely acknowledge that Um, And what I would say to that is you can make this a daily habit. It doesn't have to be relegated just to your quote unquote workout time. Mm -hmm. So like lying in bed, falling asleep, practicing it, you know, even in the car when you're driving or, you know, sitting at your desk or whatever you might be doing, observe, become aware, connect to the sensations in your body. And, And that takes time because let's be honest, as women, we're conditioned to disconnect to dissociate it's like oh those shoes are really cute my feet really hurt suck it up girl look good like oh you know you're hungry you're trying to lose weight like what are we taught just ignore it have a cup of coffee like ignore those hunger cues or oh your period's bothering you take an advil like don't actually tune in it's something that we're taught at a young age and so it's no wonder that women are like having a hard time connecting with their body right oh so true oh my god preach i'm like This is, yeah, this is, this is definitely, definitely resonating. And I know you offer a lot of like specific moves, um, even just on Instagram, like I've seen your stuff and all, and I, I think it's so helpful to see this like visually, it would be hard for you to be like, here are some moves to do without seeing it visually. Mm-hmm. But I did want to ask you, like, if there's anything specifically for diastasis that sh- we should avoid when, especially when you first start working out, mm-hmm. um, because no, I, I like tried to find information on that and I, I wasn't sure. And I remember having one of my friends being like, you have to be careful if you're going to start working out again, because you could actually just make things worse. Like, are mm-hmm. there any like big things that you're like, do not do this. So 
what I like to tell people this is again, I don't like to give a list of don't do a plank because some people might be able to handle it. Right. So mm-hmm. I don't want to create fear. And the reality is, is like these lists of safe and unsafe. I think of it as a continuing to continuum. Some movements are going to require more core function than others. So a full plank is probably not the place you want to start your postpartum diastasis rehab. So you want to potentially reduce that pressure. So try it against a wall, try hands and knees, but don't necessarily go right to like mountain climbers. You know what I mean? On the floor. So I I like to give you a framework that we call in our courses, the six P's. So are you getting pain? Are you feeling pressure down on your pelvic floor? Like a tampon's falling out. That's more a sign of prolapse. I know you're asking about diastasis, but I'm kind of covering it all here. Mm -hmm. Are you peeing your pants? Like should be Captain Obvious. But unfortunately, we're all like, oh, just wear a pad. You got a kid. It's normal. Wink, wink. You know, let's do a TikTok about this. And it drives me bonkers because the reality is, is if you're like in your 30s, peeing your pants and you never work on it and I want people to know that yes it's common but you can work on it if you ignore it well as you hit menopause it's not going to get better it's going to get worse your hormones have a complete roller coaster deep nosedive and all of a sudden you're going to lose collagen and elastin and the prognosis is not good so this is the time we want to really be proactive and work on it because we you know we don't want to be peeing our pants for our entire life it's not it's not necessary. There is help. So pain, pressure, peeing, peaking, which is another word for coning or doming, which you're probably familiar with, with, with respect to diastasis. If you're seeing like that, that like bald, like alien line coming out of your tummy during an exercise, that's a sign. It's feedback your body's giving you that you're not managing that pressure well. So that would be a sign to back off mm-hmm. if you're feeling that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean the move is unsafe. It, it usually means that you need to try doing the move with a different technique. So on some of the videos I've done, we show you, you know, here's me coning in one move and I'm holding my breath and I'm doing it with shit form. Okay, now I'm going to do the exact same move, but I'm going to breathe a particular way. I'm going to find a deeper connection to my deep core, my TVA, and all of a sudden the coning goes away. Mm. So again, it's not necessarily that the movement is unsafe. It just means you need to improve your technique. So pain, pressure, peeing, peaking, popping is when where your entire tummy pops out, not just coning. So it's like Ninja Turtle abs. (laughs) visual here I do because I see it in myself all the time okay okay okay. so that's a sign that you're only working your superficial layer of abs and not the deep layer not the transversus abdominis only the obliques and rectus aka the six-pack so ninja turtle abs is a sign again you're you're not connecting well and then the final one is puffing so are you kind of like having to hold your breath and then puff So having to hold your breath to perform a movement means that you're not, you're not stable enough. Mm. So that's also something we want to avoid. Mm. Do you see too, with, um, people you work with, like I've noticed one thing I've noticed in my workouts and I'm almost like, um, it's become like really frustrating for me because I feel like I was doing pretty well and then I like stopped progressing and I almost feel like I've now kind of trained other muscles in my body to, to work instead of my abs. Like I'll do a plank, but I'm like feeling it all in my shoulders and like I'm using just other muscles. Um, do you see that happen? Do you see that happen quite a bit? 
especially if you've been dealing with cesarean rehab as well. So let's like normalize the fact that five months ago you had major abdominal surgery. There has been likely some nerve impact. So that neurological brain muscle connection is going to be impacted. So I don't know if you have any numbness when you touch your scar or how you feel about that. You're nodding your head. Mm -hmm. So this is all implicated in your ability to connect. So the more you can do scar desensitization work, the better your core results will be because you also have had this, you know, you've essentially had it severed and it sounds a little bit like, oh God, I know, but we have to talk about it and normalize it. And there's so much we can do to build back that connection from the, like I mentioned, the scar massage, desensitization, even if if it's totally understandable if you're like, oh God, I don't want to touch it because there can be a dissociation, especially if it was you know, whether it was planned or not, I find this is even more common if it was an unplanned emergency cesarean, there's obviously some trauma there for a lot of people. And it it can be something you don't want to look at, you don't want to touch, you sort of feel disconnected from. So we've talked a lot about this on the podcast, and I'm doing more work with this, because it's not just physical healing, it's also an emotional thing we need to also process. Um, But even using a Q-tip, you don't touch it with your hand. Just rub, put it a little bit of dab, a little Q-tip, start to desensitize above the scar and then below the scar. And then when you're ready on the scar, you can use one of those roller balls. You can oil and roll like an empty roller ball thing. You mm. can just oil on there. Um, if you're not comfortable touching it yet and then eventually get more comfortable with it. And then and this is going to potentially kind of be que- make you feel queasy at first. But eventually, I'm going to show you with my arm. I know it's a podcast and people can't see what I'm doing. But basically, picking up your arm and then picking up your scar, your face right now is amazing. I'm, yeah, no, I, you guys can't see my face, but I'm like... <laughs> I'm nodding along at all of this because I feel this. I'm like, I have trouble touching it. I have trouble looking at it. The idea of pinching it is like so far away. (laughs) And I'm curious, like at at what stage, because I think I went to physical therapy and they taught me about scar massage. How long do you have to do this shit? (laughs) Like, I'm just like, well, to be first of all, did you ever do it? Did you do it at all? Be honest. I did. I did do, I did do some desensitization, easy stuff. Yeah. Like, she, like she was like, you know, take a, um, like a silk pillowcase or whatever you have that silk and like, you know, you go around your scar. Um, mm-hmm. I have had like some oils and vitamin E stuff that I, I can rub on my scar. I can make it about 90 seconds. Um, okay. you know, and that's like me bearing down and like touching my scar and that 90 seconds is like rare like I have it that's like a once a week okay maybe not even once a week maybe like now that I'm well that's the thing is when I was um in like three you know two three months out of recovery I was like oh I have to do scar massage but now that I'm five months out I I think I maybe have told myself like oh I don't need to do it as much but how long should you actually be doing this I mean we want you to do it multiple times a week and we want you to progress so that eventually it hopefully starts to become like any other piece of of tissue on your body so it doesn't feel like because because there's also a lot of people ask about that the c-section shelf which is a real thing because you have tension and then there is an excess of um kind of it can look like it's not there's a bit of tissue bulging out above the scar oh my god Please talk about, I was just talking to a girlfriend. (laughs) My girlfriend just had a C-section a week ago and she's like, why didn't you tell me about the sad overhang? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I'm sweating. Okay. (laughs) The the, the C-section shelf is, is, has nothing to do with like 
body shape or size or weight, it's because scar tissue contracts, it becomes tighter. And you've created this sort of constricted tension in your fascia and tissue. And so you're going to see tissue kind of like you would anything. If you take like a balloon and you try to pinch one part of a balloon, there's going to be, it looks like it's going to bulge over and below the balloon. So kind of situation. Um, so scar massage is going to be what helps this reduce. Um, I'm a big fan of also acupuncture for the scar. So if you're having a hard time doing it yourself, outsource it if you have the means and if you have that available to you. So someone who can, who's a practitioner who can help break up scar tissue in the best time to do it is in the first six months postpartum, but it is never too late to do okay. it. Although like if someone's listening to this and they're in the earlier stages, I would encourage them to do it earlier because your body will typically react best the earlier you do it. Okay. I need, I definitely listening to this. I'm like, I need to get back on my back mm-hmm. on it. Um, and that's good to know. Like, I think just to kind of give people an expectation, like for some reason I thought like, Oh, after four, three, four months, I don't need to do it as much. I don't, I, I made that up. Um, but like you can do this longer, like a year, like a year post, like, will I still yeah. be doing scar totally. massage? <laughs> I, I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a story. And this is like a heartwarming story. So I was, I'm in Toronto, um, just for people who may not know. Anyways, I was at this big mall, huge mall, like close to where I live. I'm at Zara. This was last year at some point. I'm just like, oh, it was in the spring. I think I was like going to get some summer stuff. Anyways, I'm in the change rooms. It's packed. And all of a sudden I go, someone turns to me and goes, are you the Val Method? Hmm. <laughs> I, was like, I turn around and it was this really lovely gray haired woman in her sixties who just had this huge smile on her face. And I'm like, picture the scenario. There's like people everywhere. I've got like all these clothes in my hands and I'm like sweating. Change rooms can be hot. It's like June. And I was like, yes. She's like, thank you. Can I give you a hug? And I was like, of course. And I'm just like, I just had a good vibe immediately from her. So I've got like clothes where I give her a big hug. And she's like, I had three C-sections and had chronic back pain my whole life. And I've tried some of the movements that you've done. And I, I went to pelvic health PT. I learned about scar massage and I'm finally pain free. She had her granddaughter with her. So huh. she'd suffered her entire life with pain. And it was directly related to three. So the more cesareans you have, the more adhesions you have, typically the more pain you have, right? They build up, they increase over time, the more Wonderful. incisions you have. So, so I guess I share this and I share this to be, like to give hope because she was in her 60s before she started doing this stuff okay I do like that message like it's never too late to start that's that's yeah. I think really good to hear yeah. um I do want I know I'm like looking at our time and I'm like there's so much I want to talk to you about so I want to move on from this and I want to talk about you mentioned it earlier prolapse and incontinence Yes. Um, so especially cause I didn't have a normal vaginal birth, but I know for people who did, this can be huge. This can be a huge issue. So talk to me a little bit about that and um, yeah. like, what are some signs to look out for? Cause I think similar to what you were saying earlier, like people just think like, Oh, I pee a little bit now. And like, haha, right. it's just part of the territory. <laughs> but like, when yeah. should, when should we be concerned? <laughs> I mean, any unwanted leakage of urine or feces, nobody talks about like incontinence like fecal incontinence but it is so much more common and no one talks about it because there's so much shame around it um so if you have more like if you had more severe scarring like or uh, tearing rather third or fourth degree tearing if you had an episiotomy which we we know is now associated with more severe 
tearing. So sometimes people get an episiotomy and then they tear from there. So it becomes even more severe. Um, and, you know, we ideally want to avoid episiotomies, you know, at all costs, but because they, we know that they do more damage to the pelvic floor. Um, but it is more common than you would think. So we do need to talk about it. I never like to talk just about the urinary issues. I think we also have to bring this up because a lot of people are like so ashamed. They don't even tell their doctor about it. Right. But it is a, it is a thing and pelvic PT can help. So I want to let them know that prolapse is also something that essentially to explain what it is, it's when the low lying pelvic organ. So the bladder at the front, the uterus in the middle and the rectum at the back start to descend downwards and they lose their ligamentous support. So it's not like my bladder is actually falling out my body. It's that it is leaning down against what we call the vaginal vault. I know it's cringe, but that's the name of it. Okay. <laughs> the vaginal <laughs> vault. So it's descending down. Um, and they're called cystocele if it's a bladder prolapse, it's uterine prolapse or rectocele if it's the back passage that's descending down. Um, and a lot of people experience this. In fact, the stats are that 50% of women in their lifetime experience prolapse. And if you think about it, we are bipeds. We're walking around on two legs. We have to resist against gravity. Unlike four-legged animals, hmm. two-legged animals, we have much more prolapse because all day long for our entire life, we're resisting against gravity. And we know that the more vaginal deliveries you have, the higher probability of prolapse. Um, but chronic constipation is also very, very much associated causally with prolapse as well. So even people who have never had children or never been pregnant can develop this if they have been dealing with chronic constipation and straining their whole life. Um, heavy lifting, heavy weight lifting done incorrectly is also really associated with prolapse. So that's why if you've ever noticed, they had too many workers claim, um, workers compensation claims. So flight attendants no longer help you put your overhead bag in the container above because they were getting too much prolapse in the females. I'm serious. Whoa. So, right? Like if you think about it, you're doing that every day, all day, and you're like in flight attendant shoes and you're not breathing and, can, you know, like there's people, you know, so all these things, incorrect lifting over time, multiple times a day, not great. So um, I also want to say that, yes, having a cesarean can be protective against prolapse to some extent, but just the act of being pregnant is enough to develop prolapse. Mm. So some people go, oh, I had a C-section, I'll never get prolapse. And that's not true. So, you know, I get a question often like, oh, I got prolapse with my first delivery. I'm thinking of booking a cesarean. And I've interviewed your gynecologists on this. And those are the people who actually do the bladder lift surgeries. And they're like, mm, it's very, very, very rarely, if ever, recommended to book a cesarean just because of existing prolapse. Hmm. So again, I want to share that because that's a common question that I get. There are so many things we can do to improve prolapse, um, especially grades one or two. So there, it grades from one to four. So grade four is quite severe. So exercise at that point isn't likely to reverse anything. Um, pessaries are really helpful. So that's a device that you actually insert to help support from below and you can get them fitted by your doctor. Um, but a lot of people think of them as like, oh my gosh, a pessary, like I'm 33 years old. Why would I want a pessary? And it's like, actually, like it can really help you in many ways. It can actually also improve your prolapse, believe it or not. So it's not, not just a bandaid solution. So I want people to know that these things exist. Um, so a pessary can help um, exercise. I've never, heard of, I've never heard of a pessary before. So it's an no. insert? 
Yeah. So there's all pessaries of all different shapes and sizes. Um, but yes, you can get pessaries for incontinence. So if you're leaking really badly and mm-hmm. you're you're still dealing with it and you're trying to do hopefully pelvic health physio, you can also get a pessary to sort of help with that. And then pessaries are even more common with prolapse um, to really kind of go in. And they look like almost like a, a rubber Frisbee. <laughs> You think about it. There's so many different shapes, but the most common one is like a ring pessary. It looks like a, an aerobie or a frisbee, obviously smaller than a real frisbee, <laughs> but you insert it. Some of them you can insert yourself, but I'd say a lot of them have to be um, both inserted and taken out by a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, And a lot of them you can continue to have sex on with. Sometimes you have to take them out. So it depends. But But yeah, there are so many out there. Um, And it's something to explore if you're dealing with, you know, prolapse, it's really getting in the way of the quality of your life. Um, Mm. So yeah, something to think about there. And then with incontinence, there's different kinds of incontinence too. So we have stress urinary incontinence, which is when you're jumping, jumping jacks, running, laughing, coughing, sneezing. We also have um, urge incontinence, which is when people are like, oh, my bladder is just really small. I just have to pee every hour. And you're like, "Mm, your bladder didn't just instantly becomes small, you're dealing with some urgency. So if you're peeing and you're getting up more than once a night to go to the bathroom, if you're peeing every hour, if you know, you're know you going and running errands and you're driving into your driveway and all of a sudden you get this urge like, oh my God, I'm going to pee my pants. I can barely get the key in the door. That's urgency. And you might leak on your way to the bathroom because you didn't quite make it. That's another form of incontinence, but it's a different form than the jumping jack kind. Hmm. So again, knowing that there are these different kinds, you can have a combo of both. So there's a lot to know. And how you approach incontinence is not to just blindly do Kegels because sometimes you actually may have too much tension in the pelvic floor and Kegels will actually make it worse. So there's a lot to know. So I urge anyone listening to this to you know get help, either see a pelvic health physiotherapist do program, shameless plug like mine, where we're going to educate you about this stuff. But just don't like put a pad on and ignore it. Don't just be like, oh, all the women in my family dealt with this. So now I guess it's just my time. Like, no, educate your mom. I got my mom at in her 60s to go to pelvic health physio. Because I remember as a kid, we'd go to like, you know, Kmart at the time or whatever and be driving into the door. And she'd be like, sit there. And she'd be doing the pee-pee dance, trying to get her key in the door. And I was always <laughs> like, mom, you're the weirdest person ever. But now- I understand what was going on. Yeah. Are there like exercises you can do to help improve that? Or is it something like you need an insert? You may need a surgery down the line. I have a friend who's like actually getting surgery to help. Um, mm-hmm. And she's had her baby is like seven. Um, mm-hmm. Like, are there, phys- there, are there exercises? I mean, just, yeah, yes. you're shaking your head. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, there are <laughs> lots of exercises that you're going to do. So with urgency, you would look at it from the perspective of bladder retraining. So it basically means that the muscle around your bladder is irritated. It's called your detrusor muscle, and you need to work on making it less angry. (laughs) So you need to work on allowing your bladder to expand more and more so you're not feeling the urge to urinate when your bladder is only like a quarter of the way full. There are urge suppression techniques that we can get into um, exercise-wise to really try to interrupt that brain's connection to the bladder. And then as it relates to stress incontinence, a lot of it is going to do with timing, um, learning to activate your pelvic floor, not as you sneeze, but before you sneeze. It's called the knack. It's a reflex that we often lose in pregnancy, but we can build it back. 
there's so much to say on this. I could literally talk yeah. to you for an hour about the things, yeah. but I, I just, I also want people to know that surgery is unfortunately doesn't have great outcomes. Oh. So I know, sorry for your friend. But I know, I'm going to not tell her that. <laughs> don't tell her that. But surgery is, there's a high failure rate, meaning that it doesn't miraculously cure everything. You know, maybe 10 years later, the problem is just as bad as it ever was. So, you know, and we also have to be mindful of the type of surgery we're getting. We know there have been many problems with mesh, health problems that women have experienced as a result of mesh being placed in their body. So understanding like what is the actual method of the surgery, um, it, it doesn't take long to look that up and figure out how controversial it has been. So that's why I like to talk to about pessaries because sometimes they are a really fantastic um, way of dealing with it. Yeah, um, that is less invasive. Yeah, I, I'm just glad to know, like, like you're saying, if any of this is resonating, I'm putting all your information, obviously, in show notes, but there are things you can do that aren't just Kegels. Like I like, you know, like, I think that's all that anyone's at least that's what any the only thing I've really heard of, like, just do Kegels. And it sounds like there's a lot more that we can be doing um, to help prevent and to help. Um, also, if you're already experiencing this to get to yeah. make it better so that's totally that's good to know um I do because I I want to get to this portion um because you know I, I hate to admit it but it is important um just like the aesthetics wise you know like I want to talk about I know you have like core rehab and yeah. I'm sitting here I'm close to six months out and I'm like what is going on <laughs> because I still feel like pudgy. I still feel, I still feel like I look four months pregnant, like things are pushing out. And what is, what is, and I, I saw that you had like a mini rant on your social about this, but the only thing like I was told like, Oh, wear a belly band. Like that'll help push things in and, and, and shape things. And it's like, that shit hasn't really that's, worked. That's the Kardashians. They're brilliant marketing genius, but they need to stay in their lane. Cause they're the ones promoting shit like this. And it's, not going nothing you're not gonna wear a corset it's not gonna magically you know make you spot train and lose water weight and sweat it down or like you know shape your body if anything you're squishing like a tube of toothpaste you squish the middle of a tube of toothpaste where's that toothpaste going <laughs> i'm gonna make you think about that for a second <laughs> it's going towards the exit door friends so i can't tell you how many people have been like i didn't have any symptoms of heaviness and then i wore my waist trainer for six weeks and then i felt like my organs were falling out i'm like no shit so so no not a fan of the waist trainers they don't train your waist if you want a good laugh, go on Amazon and look up waist trainer and look at the horrible Photoshop that they use on all those shop pages. It's, it's remarkable. Oh yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's absurd. <laughs> is is there, is there a reason to wear a, a waist trainer? No. I, I feel like even no. in the hospital, in the hospital, they were like, Oh, okay. we have a belly band if you want yes. to wear. So that is different after a surgery to wear a support band to support your incision, to help you function and pick up your baby and like not have pain yes but that is a support band or a support wrap that is not a waist trainer the goal of that is not to shape your waist to make it tiny yes. the goal is it to is just especially important to have something to support you post cesarean so i am super a fan of 
early support, right? We all know how horrible it feels to cough early in the early days of, of surgery, right? Like recovery, it feels like very scary. Even pooping can be scary. So that counter pressure with a band can be really helpful, but it is not a mode if, and, and it's okay. I want to normalize that too. It is totally okay to want to feel good and look good and fit into your pre-pregnancy genes. There's nothing wrong with having an aesthetic goal. Okay. Mm. So I'm not, it's totally fine, but we have to do it in a smart way. And it's not going to come from an external device like a waist train. Yeah. Um, what are some things we can do? <laughs> You're like, okay, so you so, talked about the problem. Yeah. What is the solution? Okay. So if, and this is, again, I, I steer away from talking about weight loss because, you know, it, it is so, it, it can be such a hot topic and a, a hot triggering discussion for a lot of people. But again, it is completely normal and reasonable to want to lose baby weight and, and feel like, you know, you're self again and not have to buy a whole new wardrobe. I understand. I have been there. Yeah. I gained 40 pounds with each baby. Okay. I understand. So as it relates to the aesthetics postpartum, so first of all, a couple factors. If you're not sleeping, you're going to be hormonally at a bit of a deficit. You're more likely to store cortisol levels are high in your body. And we know cortisol impacts belly fat. So right there, you know, cut yourself some slack and understand that like if you're averaging five hours of sleep a night, it's going to be hard to five hours of sleep. Of- Woohoo! <laughs> right? Like so I'm serious. It makes a big difference. So we've done they've done studies. They've given you know similar body type to people, similar programs, and if you if you deprive one person of sleep, they're not going to get the same weight loss results. They're just not. So that's a big factor we don't talk about enough. Mm. Gut inflammation. What's going on with your microbiome? How are you pooping? What's your are you inflamed? So we also know that if you're dealing with inflammation, that can cause micro tears in your abdominal wall, and that can actually make it harder for you to restore your core. If you're feeling bloated, if you're dealing, if you're eating a lot of refined sugars, white flours, these things that we know to be inflammatory, that's setting you back. So again, understanding that, and it's not about me being prescriptive and saying you need to eat fucking three hard boiled eggs and kale for breakfast. I'm just saying, be mindful of like, how does your body feel after that particular meal? So mm. take note of what's going on. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's understand like, and I don't know if you've experienced any bloating or, or anything like that, but that has an impact on your ability to, you know, restore your core, frankly. A hundred percent. So yeah. that's kind of something I, I mean, my whole beginning of recovery, I did the basics, you know, I, I tried to eat well, I exercised, doing like low impact stuff, doing bar, doing um, long walks, stuff like that. And I'm, I'm almost six months out and I have only lost two pounds. Um, I'm holding on to weight, um, clearly, which I never have before, you know, like I was always a very active person and, and I'm just like, why is my body holding on to this weight? And, um, they're like uh, several things you mentioned are what I'm like looking into now. Like a lot of the core issues, like I, I know I'm not regular. So like I definitely have some inflammation. I definitely have some stuff going on in my gut. And then I think mm-hmm. also um, something you touched on earlier is like the emotional side. Like I had a little yeah. bit of a traumatic birth and I'm just now understanding and I'm doing more research around like, oh, 
actually because of this trauma, my cortisol levels probably yeah. have raised and like my body is also holding on to weight because of that. Totally. Um, yeah. So it, it's so hard because like there's just, and that's like one of the things I wanted to come across in this interview is like, it's just, it's not just like one thing you can do. Like it's, uh, there's so mm. much, there's so much that goes into recovery yeah. and, and we all need support and, all different ways, you know, um, just on the core, on the, the gut health piece. Uh, mm-hmm. cause I did see a piece of content and I, it was something that I wanted to ask you about just before we wrap up here. Are there any, a couple things that we can do to help improve our gut health? If we suspect that maybe that is something that is, is causing us issues. Yeah. I mean, I would always recommend seeking the guidance of a naturopathic doctor or a holistic nutritionist. Um, I'm sure the dietitians will come at me if I don't mention them, <laughs> but, but basically that's, that's a good idea. Um, but some things we know that can be helpful are, you know, really working on improving your gut microbiome. So fermented foods can help with that. Um, even kefir, sauerkraut anything fermented can be you know tempeh even I don't know how we feel about soy but just foods that can improve that aspect of it and again this is going to be so this is going to be so individual and variable so I would recommend kind of figuring out what works best for you and literally making like a food sort of diary not in terms of oh I ate this and this much and this not calories but more around like this is what I ate and this is how I felt Mm. Right. Like, did you just order Thai food for dinner and then you were ragingly bloated the next day? Like, okay, well, what do you think was in that? Maybe you're having a problem with soy sauce, for example, you know, something like that. Um, And then, you know, I do think a prebiotic and a probiotic is helpful. Starting your day off, um, getting light first thing in the morning can really set your circadian rhythm and then having like lemon water in the morning can help your gut get going before you have coffee so rather than like waking up and immediately like fumbling to get the coffee machine started try to have some lemon water in the morning and get some sunlight and it's that simple it can really make a big difference to try to like you know at least because your opportunity to to kind of really help your kidneys your kidneys are working overtime when you're sleeping you want to flush that out like so your first pee in the morning is super concentrated so then you want to then have more water to help run that out through your system rather than then going and getting coffee which is kind of more of a dehydrating substance oh my god so stuff like that can can really help (laughs) And, and like I'm a coffee drinker like for sure but just even delaying it by an hour and having water beforehand can make a big difference too Okay. Uh, that's a big, that's a big takeaway. Um, cause I am totally that person fumbling. I'm like making, <laughs> I'm like making my son a bottle and then also making myself a coffee and like, yeah. yeah. Okay. So that is awesome to know. Um, Nikki, you, you are so full of like such valuable information and I could honestly, like, I wish we had longer time. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming on, for sharing all of this. And I really, really want to pimp you out because like we've been saying this whole time, like (laughs) there's a lot here and, um, obviously there's a a huge visual aspect and especially with your content, like I've been using it. I've been, I've been getting a bunch of exercises from you and it's been so, so helpful. So let us know where we can find more from you. Amazing. Um, so you can find me at the Bell Method on Instagram, 
So it's spelled B-E-L-L-E, beautiful in French, the Bell Method. Um, and also bellmethod.com. So check us out there. Also the We Go There podcast. If you want to hear us talk about queefing and like, you know, <laughs> pain during sex, that's what we go and talk about that. It's all the good times. Uh, hemorrhoids. Yep. So uh, we interview like the colorectal surgeon on hemorrhoids. Like that's kind of like the, the that's what we're focusing on. So, so yeah, but I, I would be happy to support anybody here, whether you're pregnant, we have a prenatal um, push prep courses and believe it or not, even people who have planned cesareans are doing it to early postpartum to sort of late postpartum to even beyond people who just want to have like really intense Pilates focused fusion workouts that are no longer in sort of the quote unquote postpartum phase. So it's really meant to support you through your entire stage of life. Oh, so helpful. And like, if I'm, if, I, if God willing, if I get pregnant again, I am totally doing all of this. I'll be doing it all differently. And I, I feel like I'll be um, checking out your, your uh, pregnancy stuff, because like we said, like this is, it starts, it starts there folks. Um, Nikki, thank you so much for being on. Loved having you. It's a winter, but I'm